But let's pray and ask God's blessing on this meeting this morning. Lord, I do pray that you bless as we look to your word in a moment. I pray that you would speak to us about uh, getting a God-sized view. Lord, help us to see things like you see them. And uh, Lord, help us not to despise uh, the day of small things. Let us not look to what can't be done, but rather what could be done. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to know that we can do all things, uh, what you call us to. We can do all things through Christ. And that's where we find our strength and help. I do pray that you would give us grace today for, uh, for just living, but also not to just survive, but to go beyond that and to thrive for your glory. I pray that you would be, uh, you would be worshipped and glorified, and uh, God, that you would be praised for all that is done in our lives and through our lives. I do pray that you bless this day and all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. A man named Viktor Frankl, he was an Austrian psychologist. He survived the death camps in Germany, and uh, he made a startling discovery about why some survived the death camp. Horrible conditions. Why did some survive, and why did others not survive? So he looked at several factors. He looked at health and vitality, looked at their family structures, their intelligence, their survival skills, and finally concluded that none of these factors was primarily responsible. The single most significant factor, he realized, was a sense of future vision. The impelling conviction of those who were to survive, that they had a mission to perform, and they had some important work left to do in their life. Extraordinary afflictions, by the way, are not always the result of extraordinary sin. Uh, sometimes our trials are there to help us. We know as a Christian... I believe personally that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. God has a purpose behind the good and the bad in your life. The hardships of your life are not there to destroy you. And I'm not trying to be overly, uh, you know, um, using too many uh, uh, cliches this morning. But they're not there to harm you. They're there to build you up. They're there not to break you, but to build you into a better Christian and a more useful servant of God. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for good. And when he says all things, he means all. All means all. Amen? And A-L-L. And uh, I, I know that uh, sometimes we like to say, well, uh, this can't be of God. God can't use this. How could God use this to help me? Because this was a tragedy. Tragedy. This was sin. This was a, a horrible thing that somebody did to me. But, you know, God can use all things, and he does use all things to bring about his purpose, that we would be changed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's the point of it all, that we would become like Jesus. And uh, so uh, we need to submit to God's plan and work in our life, and, uh, and then we'll go somewhere. God has a plan. And so we need to get a God-sized vision for what God could do in our life. Uh, Job 8-7, we think about uh, Job had three friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. Uh, I don't think they were very good friends, to be honest with you. But, uh, and even his wife said, curse God and die. And so I think that just adds to the understanding that Job was going through a very, very, very tough time. Very tough time. But we see that Bildad comes to Job and he tries to put some hope into him in Job 8-7. He says, though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. And whether he knew it or not, he was actually prophesying because God restored everything back to Job in a greater way, didn't he? Uh, survivors of the POW camps in Vietnam had that same kind of outlook. Uh, those that survived and, and did well, they, uh, uh, they had a compelling future-oriented vision. They were looking towards the future. Uh, many times we're forced to look at our circumstances. It's hard to look at anything else sometimes. Uh, sometimes we're going through a fog, uh, and we only see an ex uh, what we're experiencing. We only feel what we're experiencing in the moment. But when we get God uh, in our life, when we, when we allow God to work, when we submit to his plan, then it's a lot easier to, to realize, yes, there's something in the future for us. In the Lord's work, especially in the Lord's work, we desperately need a vision of what could be done. It's so sad to, uh, to hear older preachers just talk about the good old days. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they've lost a vision for what God could do in the future. 
and what God could do through them still yet. And, and sometimes uh, when we get up in years, when, you, when you've experienced a lot of things in your life and it's hard to get around and it's hard to, to, to do things and it's hard to, really hard to see what God could yet do through you, you need to just, just be like Caleb and say, I want that mountain. You know, Caleb was old, but he said, I, I want more time. I want more things from God. I want to see him do something great. I don't think that's a selfish prayer. I think that's a, a prayer of necessity, a prayer of need. I think of uh, Psalm 63 where David says, I long to see thee in the sanctuary. I long to see you do something in my life, God. I long to see you work in my life like I've seen you work in your, uh, in your tabernacle, as David said, right? Uh, we need to get a vision. We need to get a God-sized view. A vision, number one, excites. When you have a vision, it excites you to do more. And you can see what, what can be done and say, Lord, help me to do something great for you. Help me to do something for your work. A vision excites. When you have uh, other people in your life, when you're experiencing uh, their excitement, when you get to see what they're excited about, many times it's contagious. It helps us to get excited. So when we're in a church where everyone is, uh, is moping and they're, uh, they're just hoping for... Uh, nothing. They're looking forward to dying, and they're just saying, well, God's not going to do anything else in this country. God's done with us. Boy, it's a lot harder to, to see any kind of uh, future. It's a lot easier to become depressed in that situation, and we begin to take on that same kind of mentality and attitude if we're not careful. But when you're around people that are excited, in a sense, they're excited about God doing something, a vision, a vision is the biblical word. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, where there's no vision, the people perish. But uh, he that doeth the law, happy is he. He that uh, uh, does what God says, he's going to find happiness in his life and real joy. But when we have that vision, yes, it's easier to do and see God do things. When uh, we have a vision, we could see it. And uh, then when we have a vision, it's easier for others in our life to get a vision because a vision excites. But also a vision gives strength. When you have a vision, you have courage and strength to go on. Vision is contagious, and you'll have others with you. Think of another time in America, in 1857. America was in a crisis, economic crisis, spiritual crisis, social crisis. This is before the Civil War. And attendance in churches had dwindled, and there was cynicism among many concerning religion. You might be thinking, wow, I can't imagine that there was a time in our country 150 years ago, 170 years ago, where people were cynical about God and religion. Oh, yes. America was needing a revival because we were in a spiritual uh, crisis. But God gave a man a vision. His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. He had a vision of starting a noontime prayer meeting in New York City. Uh, he was meeting in a mission on Fulton Street. And I've actually been on Fulton Street. Uh, Brother Dan Klaus took us right to this location. And he, uh, Mr. Lamphere went to great lengths to advertise his prayer meeting. The first meeting was held on September 23rd, 1857. 12 o'clock noon, he invited all of these people to come. And uh, 12 o'clock came and went. Nobody showed up. But about half past 12... The doors opened, and uh, he heard the steps of a man coming up the stairs. Soon another came, and then another. Eventually, there were six people meeting for a prayer meeting on September 23rd. The numbers of those attending these meetings increased. By October, over 100 people were coming to the prayer meetings. Other buildings were needed to accommodate the large numbers, and churches began to open their doors but they weren't large enough as thousands began to come to these prayer meetings. Six months later, March 1858, Burton's Theater, which could hold 3,000 people, was filled to overflowing. This was called the Fulton Street Revival. Soon firehouses, police stations, other buildings were requested to house the prayer meeting that had spread like wildfire in New York City. you imagine a, a, a revival like that happening in our country today? Wouldn't that be awesome to see that? But you know what we're tempted to do many times is to look around us and say, well, that can't happen. Things are not right for revival. You know, it's always a good time for revival. It's always a good time to get right with God. 
It's always a good time to read your Bible. It's always a good time to pray. What happens is that many times people don't feel like doing those things because they feel like they're the only one that wants God to do something. But you have to start with one. It started with Mr. Lamphere saying, I'm going to hold a prayer meeting. Whoever comes, comes. He couldn't have predicted that thousands of people would be attending these daily prayer meetings in New York City. God did something great there. A vision uh, is faith or belief that God will do something through us. What kind of vision do you have for your life? Is your vision to just exist and to make it? And to, you know, you might be thinking, that's all I can focus on right now because my life is upside down. And I understand, I, I understand that that is probably the case for many. Somebody once said that we're all going through a hard time. We should be kind to one another, amen? Because we, we don't realize what other people are going through. Sometimes we think it's just us, but there's so many people around us that are having a difficult time. We're all going through a, a hard time on some level. And maybe for you, this is the hardest time in your life. You've never experienced anything like this. But even in your difficulty, God wants to do something great through you, in you and through you, amen? God wants something great for your life. And, 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 and he wants you to get a vision to see beyond the circumstances, to see beyond today even. And of course, we know the Lord is coming back. He could come back tomorrow. Okay, he could come back today. But we should have at least a vision for the future to say, Lord, if you tarry, give me, give me another mountain. Give me something great to see you do something great in our presence, that you would be glorified. Uh, it's not about us, Lord. That should be our prayer. It's not about us. It's not so that we could uh, just uh, be able to, to say, wow, look at what look at what we're doing here at Souls Harbor well you know we're just seeing God do so many great things and many times we're tempted to take the credit but no may we truly want God to be glorified and see a revival in our midst that God would would would, would show us something wonderful and glorious and that we could be a part of that you know so much the, the Christian life is so much more enjoyable when we're seeing God work amen it's difficult when God isn't working But who is hindering God from working in our lives? Well, first, we need to get a vision for our life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We can start, let's just read verse 7. We got time today. Start in verse 7. Now, understand, Paul is speaking here, telling the church that he, the apostles, Paul and his Uh, the men that were working with him, they were willing to go through some very difficult trials so that God would be glorified in the lives of those that they were ministering to. We should get that kind of a vision, that we would be willing to see God do something so much that we're okay with some sacrifice. We're okay with some difficult times. We should be okay with that. But he says there, we have this treasure. Speaking of the great uh, gospel of Jesus Christ salvation we have this treasure in earth and vessels speaking of our our, our bodies <laughs> that we the, that the excellency of the power may be of god and not of us see what what people need to see is not us but they need to see jesus in us and through us we are troubled on every side oh paul went through many difficulties he went through persecution through uh people forsaking him went through physical hardships Went through uh, times of distress, I'm sure. But he says we're troubled on every side. But yet, we're not distressed. We're not giving up. He was tempted to do it, but he didn't. He said we are perplexed, but we're not going to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. What is he talking about? Paul was forsaken by, by men. But you know, he said, although many left my side... The Lord stood with me. So we're not forsaken. You might lose your best friend, but you'll never lose the greatest friend. He's always there. He's always at our side. He's with us. He says, oh yes, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed. And he says, always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might, or Jesus Uh, that life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 
See, the reason that we go through hard times, the reason that you are physically hurting at times, as a Christian even, is so that the, the Lord Jesus Christ could be seen through you because of your response to trial. See, our response as a Christian to trials should be different than the world's response. They should despair because they have no hope. But we as Christians, we understand there's a reason behind it. Remember, there's a reason behind everything. So don't give up. So he says, uh, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. See, I'm going through hard times, church. I'm going through hard, difficult times so that you can be blessed. That's what Paul's saying. He does it willingly for the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us as also by Jesus and shall present us with you. See, Paul was looking not towards a a life of pleasure and a life of ease, but he was looking forward to the next life, saying, this isn't what it's all about. I'm willing to give this up because there's eternity, which is far more important, and that's what we're living for, that's what we're looking to, not to this life, So many Christians here in this country, so many of us are tempted to live for this life and to think, oh, I need to have it. I need to have this or that. I need to have, uh, it's my right. Many times we, we start thinking that way. It's my right. But with Christ, when he died for us, we should be willing to, at the very least, live for him. As Paul said, that uh, that. We should present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That's your reasonable service. But he says here, verse 13, We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it's written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus Christ shall raise us up also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your, what's the next word? Sakes. See, all of this that Paul is going through is, is for, for the church. It's for your sake. See, I'm so thankful for the people that did things for my sake. Those, not, there's not one of us that could say, well, I'm here on my own accord. I'm here because of me. No, no, no. Somebody sacrificed in your life. Somebody loved you enough. You might be saying, well, nobody ever witnessed to me. I found a Bible in a hotel room or whatever. I heard that story before, right? And praise God they got saved, but there was somebody who had to put the Bible in the hotel room. You're not here because of you. Ultimately, Jesus Christ died for, for you, paid for your sins, loved you enough. God sent his son. He loved us. But everything was done. All the sacrifice and persecution, hardships, dist- uh, the uh, uh, trouble, the persecutions. It was all for, verse 15, for your sakes. Continue reading with me, if you would. That the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. Oh, there was an investment made, but he expected to return it so that God would be glorified, that you might be saved and helped and encouraged and go forward, verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, or though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Praise God that, oh yes, we're getting older, we're getting, uh, we're getting more tired, life is more difficult now. Every day we live, and praise God, maybe you've you found the, uh, the, 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 the uh, fountain of youth. I don't know, maybe you did. Maybe you found a certain thing that helps you, and uh, you started taking supplements, and, and, and you found a new lease on life. Praise God for it. Some of you have just done better in your health, and praise God for that, but ultimately we're all going to perish. But although the outward man is going to die... Every day we live, you might be in a hospital bed, you might be, uh, you might be in a nursing home, you might, be, uh, you might be invalid, you might be paralyzed. Although the outward man is suffering, 
Oh, we can have victory. We can have, we can have peace and joy and, and, and true uh, purpose on the inside. In our soul and in our spirit. And that can be renewed day by day. And God gives us strength. Although our body might fail. Our spirit can, uh, can be renewed. Just like you were saved. Amen. How many of you remember the day you got saved? How many of you need to get saved? Some of, you, some of, us, some of us here have had times where we felt like we weren't saved. We knew Jesus Christ was our Savior, and praise God, we claimed the promise of His Word. But there was days where, you know, physically and emotionally, in our soul, we were, we were down. But praise God, you can always go to Jesus and find uh, renewal and then find victory. You get into the Word of God, and praise God for the indwelling Holy Spirit who can bring new life and infuse that life in us. Oh yes, it doesn't mean we weren't saved, but uh, some days we didn't feel like it. Praise God, the inner man can be renewed. That gives us hope, gives us some vision. You realize, oh yes, this world is coming to an end very quickly. If the last year hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us that things are progressing in the wrong direction. And, 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 and oh yes, we made advancements. We've seen um, you know, the uh, SpaceX program and all of the advancements there, with, uh, and then self-driving cars, and then... Uh, you know, economies and things that maybe were doing better and, and we saw advancements in medicine and so on. But morality is at an all-time low, my friend. The world is falling apart. It's all coming to an end. But really, it's a new beginning and our vision should be for what God has in the future. And, and uh, oh yes, the, the world is falling apart, but inwardly we understand that we as Christians... We have a purpose. There's a, there's a future for us. God is going to do something uh, in, in, in this last day, I believe. I really believe that the church is going to have revival. I, I hope that we see revival in our lifetime. Oh, you don't have to wait for the church to have revival. You have revival. Amen. We can do something about that. Praise God. Uh, we can be renewed. And that's what revival is. Renewal inside the spiritual renewal is up to us many uh, many here understand that concept that is it is you submitting to God uh, and, and yielding to the spirit of God and and denying the flesh and, and oh yes it's a it's a battle but you can have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and we can yield ourselves to the spirit of God oh as the spirit will uh, produce fruit in our life love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance that's what revival is my friend when you see somebody living with joy in their life when you see somebody living with peace in their life when you see somebody living with love for their enemies that is called revival because that's unnatural that's not the natural uh that's that's not what the natural man does it's unnatural it's supernatural and each of us can have that kind of revival it may not come to the church as a whole but you can start with you just like Jeremiah Lamphere, just call a prayer meeting. And if nobody shows up, you pray. If you have six people show up, all six of you pray. You might say, well, nobody's coming to soul winning. Nobody's coming to church. Nobody's coming to this. It's okay. You are here. I'm here. God's here. But he says, oh yes, although the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed Day by day, for our light affliction, <laughs> he's, I think, being a little bit poetic here, because although it was a difficult thing that he went through in his life, compared to what Jesus went through, it's light. Our light affliction. It wasn't even just the physical things that Jesus went through. Think about the concept. God becoming a man... And then humbling himself to death. He was, he was crucified. One of the most torturous and humiliating deaths a person could have. And yet it was God. God. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, what we're going through now, what Paul was sacrificing 
It was going to work towards a more important and a greater good. And, and, and the most important thing in that is eternity, eternal values. See, uh, what many people do just for a, a temporary, a temporary reward. You see people fighting and uh, striving in the Olympic Games. And they give up so much for a moment of glory. For a, a temporary reward. But yet we as Christians who understand that eternity, eternity is closer every day we live. Yet we don't give up anything for God's work. We're doing everything we can to carve out a life for ourselves on this planet. When all of this is just going to someday be gone and worthless. And yet we give to God Maybe whatever is left of our time, whatever is left of our energy, our talents, our treasures. But he says, this light affliction, it's just but for a moment, but it worketh us, for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Why wouldn't we just give up a little bit for the Lord? Why can't we just do a little bit? So many Christians don't even do that. But see, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You are God's. Yet we act like we are ours. (laughs) We act like we belong to us. I know I'm getting down into the kind of the meteor thing here now. I think uh, some people are, you know, they were with me for a while there, but it's getting to be where it's uh, just me and a couple of us here this morning. But And that's okay, because we're just going to look at what the Bible says. I I want us to see that eternity is so much more valuable. Eternity, compared to now, eternity has value. Now has nothing. Yet we live for now. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen. See, Paul is saying... We're not, the reason that we're living this way, the reason that we're giving it all up, the reason that I, uh, as Paul is saying, I gave up my lineage, I gave up my, my, my life that I lived before, all of the things that were important to me at one time, I gave it all up. The reason is because we're not looking at the things which are seen, the things today, the things that we put so much stock into, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're not going to last forever. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen. What does he mean by the things that are not seen? He's talking about eternity. He's talking about the things that are important. God's values. Okay, Eternity's values. He says the things which are not seen are eternal. They're going to last forever. And so we should put a priority on that. But yes, oh, it's hard to see it right now because it's going to require faith. The Bible says that uh, it's a faith are, uh, is the things that are not seen. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. Uh, we don't see it now, but someday we will. And so we should uh, realize that that's more important, but it's going to require faith. So a vision is faith and belief that God will do something great through us. And I think as a Christian, we need to get a, a vision for our life. Get God's vision for our life. What's the world's vision? What is the world living for? Their dream, okay, their dream is wealth. Their dream is success. Their dream is, is, is joy and, and love and, and a happiness, peace in their life. Their, their dream is to not have to go to work tomorrow for many people. I was always surprised when I hear, I'm still surprised, when I hear people that say, when I win the lottery, (laughs) I love when they start with that phrase, when I win the lottery, actually we had some some circus tickets come in this week. You ever seen those circus tickets? They're always at the Chinese restaurant. That's where I've seen them. That's just my experience. But we see those like free, you go buy one, get one free or whatever, circus tickets, and they send them to us every year here. I don't think we got them last year. I don't think they had it. But every year we get tons of tickets. And I don't know if, I don't even really look at them anymore. I'm not going to the circus. I'm not planning on it. But we had them. I was kind of joking around. And Mrs. Dake was working in the library. And I gave her these circus tickets. She had a whole stack of circus tickets. And Thursday night we walked in there with the guest preaching. I saw she had the stack of circus tickets. For a second, I, I literally thought, I was like, Mrs. Dake has some scratch-offs. So like, what is she doing in here? 
I thought she went down to Speedway really quick before church. And uh, that's her, that's her, her, I'm sorry, Mrs. Dake, didn't mean to embarrass you. But so many people say, when I win the lottery, I'm not going to go back to work. You know, I, and I, I don't always enjoy working, but you know, here's the deal. God instituted work before the fall of man. You know, work is good for us, okay? And, uh, but the world's vision is to quit working, to have wealth, and to have uh, love in their life, to have prosperity, to, uh, to have pleasure, to have um, all of those things. See, a lot of, a lot of the people my age don't want to work. They, or, they, or they don't want to have a lot of responsibilities, even if they are working. They want to have a job that suits them, you know, and, and they don't want to own anything. They don't want to own a house or a car. They don't want to use cars. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that want to uh, just basically have the government take care of all of their things, from health care all the way on down. And that's what a lot of people's vision is for their life. That's their dream, is to just basically have things streamlined and simple and easy. Which I understand that to a point. That's, that's a fleshly dream or a fleshly goal or vision. See, a lot of young people even have a, a, a vision for a dream of becoming an athlete or a, 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 a professional athlete. Or to be a, a, a movie star. Or to be famous. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth. Why? Because... When you do that, your earthly treasure will either be eaten by moths, it'll rust, it'll be corrupted in one way or another, somebody will come and steal it. So you know what happens when somebody wins the lottery, their life turns upside down. Sorry, I, I'm sorry I'm talking about the lottery a lot here this morning, and uh, I don't think I've ever done this before, but when somebody wins the lottery, then now they have to take all the money that they won, if they won the big one, you know, they have to take a lot of that money, whatever they have left, whatever the government doesn't take, uh, and they take that money, and many times they have to basically set up a whole new life and put up, they build a big house, but they got to put a big old fence and a wall around that house to protect themselves, right? And uh, a lot of people in their lives who used to be more sincere, now they have ulterior motives because they want to get a piece of the action, right? And uh, so what happens is when you lay up for yourselves treasure upon earth, what you have will not last. It'll either be corrupted by moths or rust. You know, that beautiful car that you want and you're just envisioning of having, you know, that, that nice shiny new car. Guess what? 10 years, 15 years from now, it's not worth what it is today, of course. A year, you drive it off the lot one day and it depreciates. But if you, if you live for all these things in the world, somebody's either going to take it or it's going to be destroyed. So that's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Okay, but he doesn't say don't do anything. He says, instead of doing that, he says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Amen? Matthew 6, you can read it later. So get a vision for your life. Get God's vision for your life. What is God's vision for your life? Each of us need to ask, ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So many of us have not gotten to that point of surrender yet. Because sometimes we already know what God wants us to do, so we don't want to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? You know, there's times where I don't even have to pray about something. I already know what God wants. Okay, I really don't have to pray about certain things. But I have to pray about it because it's me humbling myself and submitting to the Lord's plan. I remember um, 13 years ago, 2008, I was going into college, um, would have been my sophomore or junior year, sophomore year, I think. And uh, I, I remember that I was looking forward to going back to school that fall. It was about August or so, just about a week or two away from school. And I got a call from somebody that's an evangelist. He's a youth evangelist. And he said, we had somebody on our team that couldn't make it this fall. And I need you to fill in for four months. Would you be willing to travel with us? You're going to have to miss college for a semester, but would you just travel, with, just pray about it, consider it? And I said, I'll pray about it. A couple days went by, I got a text or another phone call. I said, can you, have you prayed about it? What is your thoughts? We still haven't found anyone else. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he can keep looking for somebody else. Surely somebody will fill in. And it's not going to be me. I know that much. And I remember... I was at the sign right out front here in the church. I was changing the sign and putting new letters up. And I remember thinking about this, and, and, and I knew in my heart that I, I need to just pray about this. 
But then I thought, actually, I don't need to pray about this because I already know the answer. The Lord is telling me I need to go because I wasn't submitted. I wasn't submitted. And I, I, I knew what God wanted. I knew what I was supposed to do, but it didn't fit my agenda that year. But God greatly blessed in that, in that semester when I traveled with Dr. Jim. And I, I, it, was, it was one of the highlights of my life. To be honest with you, it was, a, it was a blessing. Oh, yes, I got put back a year in college. You know, I had to finish with the class that came after me. I didn't get to finish college all of my friends. And all those important things, you know, that's so important. We don't even really talk to all of those people anymore. You know, we were buddies in college. We still talk to some of them. But, you know, that wasn't that important. But, and I don't know the impact of that semester, what it had on anyone else's life, but I'm th- so thankful for what God did in my life. And I, I had an opportunity to submit to him in that way. But there's some things you don't need to pray about, but you should just come to God and say, God, what do you want for my life? So God is at work in our society, in our world, and he does great things where Christians believe him and obey him. See, what's limiting revival in your life? So many times we talk about revival coming to the world, revival coming to the church, because it's easy for us to kind of say, well, it's because of, you know, the way things are in America that we're not having revival. It's because of who's the president that we're not having revival. It has nothing to do with having revival in our country. It's because of COVID that we're not having revival. You know, there's probably some place in this world that have revival because, had revival because of COVID. I know there's some Christians that had revival because of COVID. So many times we, we put ourselves in the place of it's because of them, it's because of the circumstance that we're, we're not seeing it happen in our church or in our world. But what about your life? Why are you not having revival? See, God does great things when Christians submit to him when they listen and they believe and they get a vision for what god would do see a vision is more than a dream see a dream many times what i what i associate dreams with is is aspirations kind of like fleshly desires not always sinful but if you know maybe I, i don't want to use the word vision because that's not exactly i don't think what god is what is saying here see a dream is what what i want to see done But we need to give a vision for what God wants to do. When we see that word vision in Scripture, in Proverbs 29, I believe that's what they're talking about. Where there's no vision, the people perish. We need to get God's view or vision, and that's an eternal view, eternal vision, for our life. Secondly today, not only do we need to get God's vision for our life, we need to give our life to God's vision. See, we all have a life to give. You have a day today to give to the Lord. You might say, well, I didn't live my life for the Lord. But we're not going to live in the past, are we? You have today to give to God. See, many times we don't give today, which ends up being the future. But you're not giving today, which becomes another day or three days or four days that we're not giving to God because the reason we don't give it to him is because we say, well, because I didn't give him the last 50 years of my life, I'm not worried about today. God doesn't, God's not going to hold that against you if you confess that to him, get things right with him, and just live for today, and, and lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, okay, reward in heaven. As Paul talked about so many times, that we would have something for the Lord, some reward that he would give us that we can eventually give back to him. And praise God for that. Uh, our, our reward in heaven is important, I believe. So many people say, well, I don't want to get anything from God. I don't want anything from God. Oh, my friend, I believe at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at that a little bit different. We're going to look at it a little bit different. And praise God for your salvation. That's the greatest reward or greatest, greatest thing that you could ever have. It's not a reward. It's, it's uh it's a gift. It's the greatest thing that you could obtain or have from God. But reward, I believe, is so important as well. Because a reward represents the work that we allow Christ to do through our life after we're saved. So shouldn't we be an effective servant for God? So not only do we get God's vision, but we should give our life to God's vision. Give your life to Him. We all have something to give. 
We choose our endeavors, and someday we'll give an account for our choices. You might be saying, well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, Bob Jones Sr. said, you can do anything you ought to do. We started the service off this morning with, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We need to get away from, I can't, and say, I can, by God's grace. Oh yes, there's a lot of things we can't do. But there's nothing we can't do by God's grace. That He calls us to do, if He wants you to do it, if He wills you to do it, you can submit to Him and He will work through you to see it accomplished. Dr. Lee Robertson said, A a winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. And so many times we've quit, haven't we? We quit. We quit. We quit. I'm so thankful for the days that I didn't quit. But that was only by God's grace. I try not to remember the days I quit. But I'm thankful for the ones where I didn't. A big percentage of missionaries, unfortunately, are coming off the field... I believe part of the reason is because they're losing a vision. And one of the reasons that they lose a vision is, like I said earlier, a vision excites, a vision gives strength, it's contagious. One of the reasons that the missionaries are losing their vision for their field is because we're losing the vision for our field. We're losing the vision for America. I'm not excusing what they're doing. I, I think that they should continue on no matter what we do here. But uh, so many missionaries and, and, and pastors and, and even churches are closing Because we've lost the vision for God's kingdom, his eternal purpose in the world. The gospel. We are called five times in scripture, specifically five times, to go and make disciples. And there's nothing that's discharged us from that duty in this age. See, the the, the call is still there. What's missing is the laborers. What's missing is the vision in the heart and the the vision to do it, the, the view that God would have for us. We're missing that in churches. And, and some people are quitting the mission field or churches or pastoring or, or, or laboring for the Lord or bus routes. They're quitting soul winning. They're quitting because they lose their vision. You know it's right to win souls, but why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? You say, well, there's no opportunities. Everyone's already heard. As the pastor said last week, our evangelist, he said, uh, when, he, when, when, when my grandpa came to church in 1975, up on the north side and on 88th and Burleigh, the church there, 13 people in that church said, we don't need to go soul winning because everyone in Milwaukee's already heard. They have Christian radio and television. But you know that 13 in one year became 600 on a big day. And it's not because of my grandpa, but God used my grandpa and some men and women in that church that would just catch a hold of God doing something great. God can do something if we would be willing to let him do it. But so many people give up. We quit. We quit. We quit on our family. It's not even just the work here in our church or the work in the world. God has a very important work for you in your home. See, your home is your first mission field. For every pastor, the home is his first mission field. I've known too many pastors that have lost their families, and they did a, maybe did some things for the Lord outside their home, but, but they're brokenhearted today because of what they've lost. And, and if we would just reach our children and our church, that would go a long way to reaching the world, because, see, we're, we're so busy on the hamster wheel, bus route, and and, and, and soul winning and all these things which are important, but we're so busy doing activity, reaching people, but God, I believe, is, is, is calling to us and saying, hello, you've got some, some young children, you've got some teenagers in your church who need to be reached. You've got some young uh, adults that aren't being uh, cared for in your church. You've got some folks that need the love of Christ right at home. So don't quit on your family. Don't quit in your ministry. Don't quit in any area, but get a greater vision and, and, and get a view of what God could do. I think about uh, when they rebuilt the temple after Solomon's temple was destroyed. I alluded that, to that earlier. 
Despise not the day of small things. See, that was uh, in the scriptures where they, they rebuilt the temple, Zerubbabel's temple. But there were some there that had seen the glory of Solomon's temple and they were saddened because what was rebuilt was nothing like Solomon's temple. See, people are, are, are looking too much at the past, but they're not seeing the great victory that God is doing, oh, uh, repairing the, the breach and, and, and strengthening the things that remain as we read in the book of Revelation. There's a need for this day and age. Oh yes, we may not go back to the revivals of our past, but God can do something today. We need to get a, a dream and a vision and, and see a big thing, what God could do in your life through your, for you, through your ministry. Boy, I, you might be saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how. I don't see it happening. Well, turn your back on that negative thought and ask God to give you His view. God, give me your heart. God, let me see through your eyes. Let me see, let me see my neighbor like you see them. Let me see uh, that, uh, that um, uh, person there in, in, in the poorest part of town. Let me see them like you see them. Where so many people turn a blind eye. And so many Christians even uh, scoff at going and doing ministry in the poor part of town. Apparently, I, I'm an inner city pastor according to some suburban pastors. But somebody's got to do it, they say. I'm okay with that. Kind of breaks my heart a little bit to think that we're sending missionaries all over the world, but people aren't caring about the, the city of Milwaukee. So many people running from the city. But it's a mission field. Oh God, would you let us see what you see? Oh may you let us see us first. See the sin See the lack of faith. See the lack of compassion. Oh, nobody wants to hear that. See, you go to church today in America, you want to hear, well, you're a good person. God loves you. Oh, it's okay, it's just a mistake, it's all right. You know, just try harder. You know, even if they do that, that's actually probably considered kind of tough preaching for some churches now. It's all about, you know, it's not even about so much spiritual things nowadays. It's about getting mental help and emotional wellness and, and achieving physical things and your business and all of this mumbo-jumbo that's being taught in churches today. And, and some of it is were good pastors at one time that I know of, and I'm thinking, why are you talking about you know, being a, you know, a success in business? It's about the, the greatest business is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But see, that's what Americans want to hear today. They don't want to hear about, oh, humble yourself before a holy God. Uh, get right with the Lord. Uh, have the love of Christ and compassion on the lost. Care about the people that don't look like you. Oh, yes, we'll throw a bone at, you know, okay, well, uh, you know, um, let's, let's come and hold hands together and sing Kumbaya. We'll do things like that. But, you know, I, I remember back when I drove a school bus, we took a Lutheran school from the suburbs down to the inner city. And they came and they sang together and they did their, you know, an hour of inner city work, you know. And, I, and it's just, you know, so sad to see. People, they want to kind of do their token good deed, but to actually go and give their life and, and love people that are not like them and don't look like them and don't talk like them and don't come from the same kind of schools and the same kind of homes and, and, and have the same kind of uh, socioeconomic status and, and, and people that are just a little bit different and, and people that have problems. But we should love people like God loves them. We got people going to hell because nobody cares. Do you care? Do you have a vision? First, see yourself and see others. See others. Others. That's what it's all about. Sometimes we we're running from others. We're running from we're running from what God really wants us to be doing. I don't know what happened to that balloon. I thought we took care of that Thursday night, but apparently not. 
it's, it's probably going to pop now. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless this day. I do pray that you help us to get your view of things. Lord, help us to see it. First of all, see ourselves like, like we need to. May we be humbled. Like Isaiah, see, when we got our eyes off of man, we could see God. I pray that you would give us that kind of a view. Pray we wouldn't live for self, but find that in your presence, in, when we're not living for ourselves, when we're in your presence, when we're living for you, we find joy. So many people are, in, Christians are in the, they're in the rat race of American endeavor, chasing the dream. And God, it's, I don't believe it's a sin to, to live in America and partake in some of the, the blessings that are here, but God, help us not to live for those things. God, I pray that you'd help us to, to put you first and your work first. Because if we're not doing that, we're, we've got our priorities out of order. See, we're living for temporary things. Help us be like Paul and, and others who, who said, for, for your sakes, for your sakes, for the people that aren't cared for, the, the people that aren't loved, the people that are, are, are really in sin, like the Corinthians, that so many people didn't want to deal with that, but for, for your sakes. Pray that you'd help us to sacrifice. Sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would stand with me, come pray this morning. Open our eyes.